Welcome to the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. I'm Bill Yates, the Editor-in-Chief of the Journal, and today we're talking about a recently accepted paper entitled Impaired Sweating Responses to a Passive Whole Body Heat Stress in Individuals with Multiple Sclerosis. This paper was included in May's APS Select, a collection of the very best original research papers published by the American Physiological Society. Before we begin, let's meet our guests. Hi, I'm Scott Davis. I'm an Associate Professor of Applied Physiology at Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. My laboratory currently studies autonomic dysfunction in individuals with multiple sclerosis. Hi, my name is Dustin Allen. I'm a fourth-year PhD student under the mentorship of Dr. Scott Davis at Southern Methodist University, and my focus is autonomic thermoregulatory function in multiple sclerosis. Hello, I'm Matthew Muller. I'm Assistant Professor of Medicine at Penn State College of Medicine in Hershey, Pennsylvania, and my research focuses on autonomic and thermal control of the circulation in humans. Scott, you've been studying patients with multiple sclerosis for a number of years. Can you tell the listeners about this condition and how you became interested in studying this topic? Great question, Matt. Uh, multiple sclerosis is an autoimmune disorder of the brain and spinal cord. Uh, in humans, and specifically, uh, your immune system attacks a lipoprotein called myelin that surrounds axons within the central nervous system, the brain and spinal cord. It deteriorates this covering of the nerves uh, and ultimately causes problems with conduction within the central nervous system. You can imagine when if you have conduction abnormalities in the brain and spinal cord, that's going to lead to a lot of problems uh, with controlling uh, the periphery and other functions as well. My laboratory specifically studies autonomic dysfunction in MS patients, so we're trying to understand how the disease affects automatic processes that uh, patients don't often think about, controlling heart rate, controlling breathing, and specifically in the scope of the article that we're discussing today is thermal regulatory control, how that they are able to dissipate heat and control skin blood flow and sweating. I got interested in uh, studying MS patients at the University of Utah during my doctoral studies. I was working with uh, Dr. Jack Pettijohn, who is a prominent neurologist uh, at the University of Utah at the time. Uh, he is deceased currently, but he was a big advocate of exercise as a therapy for MS patients when a lot of healthcare providers were telling MS patients not to exercise because they had heat sensitivity and fatigue as two of their main symptoms. And heat sensitivity uh, in this patient population is called UTOS phenomenon. And so we were interested in, in how we could have MS patients exercise um, without having UTOS phenomenon. And, and one of that was looking at dissipating heat through skin blood flow and sweating. So uh, one of my earlier studies found that MS patients had problems with sweating. They produced less sweat per gland uh, when we administered a peripheral agent such as pilocarpine, which is an analog of acetylcholine. So really, that's how that's piqued my interest in this. So I continued to study MS throughout my doctoral studies and did a couple of other studies that were related to uh, exercise and uh, function in MS patients. I then uh, went to Dr. Craig Crandall's laboratory uh, at the Institute for Exercise and Environmental Medicine to really further my research toolbox so that I could study MS patients in more detail. So I spent three years in Craig's lab. Uh, and then was subsequently hired in the Department of Neurology and Neurotherapeutics at UT Southwestern, where there was a large MS clinic uh, that saw about 5,000 MS patients a year. We continued that research, and uh, that led me to the current position at SMU, where we're now actively studying two different aspects of autonomic dysfunction uh, in the cardiovascular function and as well as the control of thermoregulation. 
When I read this article a few months ago, I thought it was really interesting how you took a basic science question, particularly a neurophysiology question, and executed it so well in humans. Dustin, could you summarize the key findings from your study? Yeah, so there are really four key things that we wanted our readers to take home from our article. And the first one being that when we administered this passive heat stress to elevate core temperature in this population, it seemed that they had an attenuated increase in sweat rate compared to healthy controls. And so what was interesting about that was that it was not coupled with an attenuated cutaneous vascular response. So it seemed as if sweat rate was affected by the disease, whereas the skin vasculature was not. Also, uh, we looked at thermoregulatory reflex control, but we didn't necessarily get to see thermoregulatory function outside of a heat suit. So what we get an idea of is they may have an impaired ability to lose heat based on those lowered sweat rates compared to healthy control subjects. Also, this could be really problematic for these individuals because if they have a reduced capacity for heat loss and their symptomology renders them really sensitive to being in the heat, it could be a very dangerous paradigm for these individuals to be in. And it could lead to a potential increased risk for an unwanted event during something like exercising or just being out in the heat in general. Dustin, could you talk about some of the challenges of recruiting patients with multiple sclerosis and discuss a little bit about your recruitment strategies, how you get the people into the lab, how you get them to come back for multiple visits, how many people are working on this project? Just tell us how challenging it is to do these type of studies. Yeah, that's a question we actually get fairly often. It's not uh, what I would say easy uh, to recruit in this population. But we've been fortunate that Dr. Davis still has an adjunct appointment at the UT Southwestern, especially in the Department of Neurology and Neurotherapeutics. So we still have a very close relationship with the MS clinic that's just right here in Dallas. So that's been a, a really fortunate thing for us to have. As well as that, we, we try to stay connected with the local MS community. We try to go out to the various outreach programs that they offer, as well as we go to charitable events and uh, we speak at their local fundraising seminars, things like that. So we try to stay engaged with the community and, and just let them know that we're there, you know, not only from a research perspective, but we can also be a resource for them to just talk to or to get more information about their disease. So we try to just stay in the loop with them. And then as far as bringing patients actually into our laboratory, I mean, like any research, it's going to be dependent on interest and their availability. So if, if we get someone that is interested and available, then we can have them into the laboratory. But even then, I would say about one of every 10 or so patients will actually qualify for our studies. So we have pretty stringent exclusion criteria because of the variables that we are trying to measure. A lot of these individuals, they're going to be on their disease-modifying therapies, but that is something we cannot change. That is the standard of care that's in the MS community. However, a lot of them are on a cocktail of other drugs that are treating other symptoms that may not be as serious as the, the progression of their disease. And so in those cases, we have to really screen their medical history and, and the drugs that they're on to see if there's anything that would affect you know, blood pressure or thermoregulation and maybe bias our findings. So we have a really really difficult time screening and, and finding people that aren't on some sort of anticholinergic or antispasmatic medications to participate in our study. In addition to that, 
We have a really strict uh, matching criteria. By that, I mean we recruit MS patients, and then we go into the uh, healthy community, and we try to match, based off their demographics and their age, ethnicity, all the things we can, we try to go find a healthy control that's kind of the exact match to our MS patient. And that has actually proved to be pretty challenging as well. Because we're so specific in our recruitment, sometimes it's hard to find a healthy control subject that is, you know, motivated to come into the lab, maybe repeatable times, and um, interested in, in helping out the cause, even though they may not be directly affected by MS. So uh, it's definitely a, a challenge, and it's definitely a group effort. I mean, this project has, has been really probably three or four years in the making, and it's taken a lot of help from not only myself and Dr. Davis, but all of our undergraduate researchers, all of the nurses at the MS clinic at UT Southwestern, and really, it, it's been an all-hands-on-deck affair. Scott, based on the data in your manuscript, what are the next steps to advance this line of research? I think Dustin alluded to a couple of them. Uh, one of them that we need to look at is the passive whole body heating uh, stimulus that we used uh, utilizes a suit that basically covers the entire body with the exception of where we're measuring sweat rate and skin blood flow. And so while this is a great way for us to control uh, the, the rise in core temperature, it's really not a realistic environment to look at heat dissipation because you've created an artificial environment that covers the entire body. And so one of the studies that we're currently doing right now is looking at how exercise and what we're finding in the passive heat stress correlates to a model that now allows you to dissipate heat. And more specifically, we want to see if there is a this impairment in sweat rate does cause uh, an inability to uh, dissipate heat and these MS patients actually store more heat during exercise or ambient uh, temperature exposure. So that's one aspect that we're looking at. The second one I think Dustin alluded to uh, was the drugs. Uh, again, uh, the patients in this study were only on their disease-modifying therapy. And these disease-modifying therapies uh, modify immune responses. So it's possible that these therapies could, in fact, be uh, responsible for some of the res responses that we're seeing. But again, we can't take them off of those drugs because of uh, our neurologists require them to be on them because it's a, the disease is progressive. And so uh, what we do try to do, though, is, is to remove other drugs that are involved with that. Specifically, one of the big ones for us in the thermoregulatory side is uh, whole body anticholinergics that are, are often used to treat bladder dysfunction. And so you can imagine if you have a whole body anticholinergic, that's really going to have an effect on thermoregulatory responses. That said, is the, the second line of research is we really need to look at MS patients that are on these drugs. These patients are on these drugs out in the community, and if they are on drugs that could be affecting these physiological responses, even to a greater degree, they may be at a higher risk of, of some of these problems. So we need to um, look at those as well. This initial study was designed just to see if we could really tell if MS was affecting it, despite the fact that the disease-modifying therapy was on board. So those are two lines of research that we really need to look at as well in regards to um, this line of research. And, and we have studies that are ongoing currently looking at those. The third and final one, I think, is, is something that we need to look at is relationship to the problem with the drugs. But MS is a, a progressive disease. So it continues to get worse over time. So this, the patients that were uh, in this study were relapsing remitting. And that's the first stages of the disease where myelin is actually being destroyed in the brain and spinal cord. But as the disease progresses, uh, there can actually be neuron death and damage, which is going to even cause more problems for these patients. 
So we really need to understand what happens to these physiological responses uh, as the disease progresses over time. I'd like to thank our guests for participating in today's discussion of the article, Impaired Sweating Responses to a Passive Whole Body Heat Stress in Individuals with Multiple Sclerosis, part of the podcast series for the Journal of Neurophysiology. Thank you.